I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Beth Powder. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Sorry. We love to watch Disney take a gamble on a mysterious unknown, Paul Mall. The world gets still. I'm learning to fly. <laughs> hey Pete, hey Beth. Hey team. How are you guys? We uh we couldn't get Beth on last time. So or the la- or the last time. Or the I last was moving. <laughs> so what we well, so what we did was we um just said Beth will be at your house on Tuesday night and you're like please do not come to my home. Don't and, Yeah, don't um, come to my home. It's where I live. <laughs> so now we're currently sitting in her home. Um we've duct taped her to a chair. And made our watch flight of the navigator, and now we're ready to record, right, Beth? Mm-hmm. This got super <laughs> dark. We could have just hopped <laughs> over, made a recording, and like, no, we we kidnapped her, we forced her to watch, and now have strapped her to a chair to talk about this movie. Um, I'm sure that's how most of our guests feel uh, recording a podcast with us. So from that <laughs> note, I, I I feel like you're giving her a good sense of what she's in for for the next couple hours. But Beth, I'm scared. we are so excited to have you on. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super excited. I've really wanted to do this for a while. So I'm thrilled. Awesome. And if you've never heard our podcast before, we are We Love to Watch. Uh, we... We do, we do, we talk about movies every week. I'm really running out of joke versions of what this intro is because there's like maybe five and we've been able to stretch that to ten. So yeah, whatever. Fuck all you. We listen, we watch movies, we talk about them. Everyone does it. It's just a cool way to interact with people online. We're not original. We're not special. I'm sorry. That's what it is. And every every uh, month. No, that's what we do. Down. Look, I just need my time alone. I'm dealing with some stuff. Just it's 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 bad. Everything we do is bad. No, uh, no. Uh, and every month we do a theme. This is starting out weird. Uh, every month we do a theme. Uh, and this this month's theme because we're pre-recording this entire month for March because I'm taking the whole month off to go have a lovely vacation, uh, taking care of a uh, newborn baby. Uh, so uh, we are, so we thought a perfect month to listen to at some point in the future when we have fond memories of the recording is a nostalgia month. So we are going through movies that uh, Peter or I saw and loved as a kid or a junior high kid or a high school kid or something in that range. And then it's movies that we haven't seen in a while. So we loved them as a kid. We haven't seen them in a while. We're revisiting them or introducing them to the other person. And the first one of those episodes is on 1984's Disney movie, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, Beth, I believe you've seen this before and loved it. That is correct. That is correct. That's good. Uh, And Peter, this was your first time seeing it. We'll save your reactions. This is such a weird movie, I think, to see for the first time as as an adult, I imagine. Uh, It's just it feels so different from everything (laughs) Uh, (laughs) when I was a kid and especially everything now. So we have not talked about what you think about this. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I also have a game for you, but first, Beth, why don't you tell us three things about yourself that you think our audience should know? Oh, wow. The pressure. Um, I thought we weren't (laughs) special, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) No. um... Most of our guests are not. And and your hosts. 
are not. So it's, you're fitting right in. So I grew up near Hollywood and I, I worked in film for 17 years and I'm actually going back to working in film. Do they have to be like really cool things or can they just be random things? They- like I have two cats and my favorite yeah. color is aqua. Yeah. Working in film. That's pretty good stuff. It was fun. And then, yeah, the color, that's nice, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And people like cats. So I think it's all. I think that was good. Peter, what do you grade that on a scale of uh, one to three things about yourself? That it didn't take uh, 17 minutes to extract out of her means it's an A+. (laughs) (laughs) I should also do a shout out to my dog, Beatrix, who would be really mad if I was just saying that I had cats. She's sitting true. right here giving me a face. Right. That's yeah. true. I, I didn't know. I am glad mm-hmm. you've painted a, a bigger picture. You've somehow <laughs> snuck in a fourth thing about yourself. I, I admire all of this. This is all going great. Thank you. Uh, and we know we Thank know you, from our SoundCloud uh, tracking, Beatrice, one of the first people to listen every week. <laughs> she's, she's an avid fan. She posts on our Facebook page. It's nice. She gives you guys two paws up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the most glowing endorsement. Um, well, they do have four paws, so it's 50%, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they, they would actually have to, like, roll over on their back and put the paws up, so four <laughs> paws would be a lot. Like, that I would mean, be, it, like, a big gesture. It'd be a better score, is all I'm saying, Peter. That's yeah. also the position that Beatrix is most often in, is uh, on her back, so. She does. Uh, she you, gives you four wait, paws wait, hold on, hold on. Are you, are you calling her a prostitute? <laughs> no, she's just... She's a very decadent dog. She loves to lounge. I think I think you should okay. check a pulse. Okay. I thought you were somehow besmirching her honor and calling her a prostitute. That's okay though. Okay, she can she can be whatever she wants to be. I agree, Peter. I don't know, I, I, Peter. I don't know how to explain this to you. As far as I know, dogs don't have a form of currency. So, <laughs> I mean, she could be sleeping around. But prostitute just feels logistically very difficult. <laughs> Do- Again, dogs also, like, I feel like coinage would be very difficult for dogs to hand around. They don't have any pockets. <laughs> like, No, if, she does sure. it for the fake and bacon, you guys. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who would? Like, who wouldn't? Like, if it was a kangaroo, maybe. <laughs> place to keep their points. Kangaroos are just like... They, they don't have any self Really? They're like, I'm a, I'm a half animal, half pants. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> uh, so before we talk about uh, more animals and uh, <laughs> the, the oldest profession, I do have a game for both of you. Uh, and it's based on the fact that when I saw this movie, I knew who Pee Wee Herman was. Uh, but it took me a long time. Like, I was at the age when I saw this movie that I didn't quite get that Pee Wee Herman was Paul Rubens. Like, I just thought Pee Wee Herman was Pee Wee Herman. That was his name. Um, I kind of, I think I understood that, like, the show I was watching was not, like, a reality show of this man's life. But I just thought he was, like, Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers was playing himself. Like, all the people on Sesame Street had their own names. It was pretty common for kids stuff where... You know, Gordon's name was probably just Gordon, and Bob's name was just Bob, and and Fred Rogers was Mr. Rogers. And so I thought Pee Wee Herman was Pee Wee Herman. So uh, there's the point in this movie that we'll talk about where his voice changes to a more uh, Pee Wee Herman-esque tone. And I was like, this is bizarre. Is this – I thought it was someone else doing a Pee Wee Herman. 
impression. Around the same time that I saw this movie, he started showing up in stuff like Batman Returns, and I was just so confused. I And I feel like that's probably something that maybe a lot of people that were my age when Pee Wee Herman was big uh, felt the same way. And mm-hmm. even though Paul Rubens, of course, is known mostly for Pee Wee Herman, he's been in other movies. He's an actor. He's a work-a-day person. Or this game uh, is called... Yo, was that Pee Wee Herman in that movie? And uh, I'm going to name some movies. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to rotate. And the game is, was Paul Rubens in that movie? Okay. Are you guys ready to play Yo, was Pee Wee Herman in that movie? Yes. I'm so looking forward to this. So I have, there's 12 questions and I have a tiebreaker. So who wants to go first? I'll go first. Oh, okay, let Beth go first. Let Beth go first. I was I was trying to be the canary in the coal mine, and uh, you know, if Beth wants to jump in. Let her jump in. Yeah. So Beth runs out of oxygen trying to answer this. You'll know she should have let you be the canary in the coal mine. Um. All right, Beth. The first one. Yo, was that Pee Wee Herman in this movie? Dunstan checks in. Ooh. I'm going to, I have to guess, and I'm going to have to say no. Hey, Beth? Yeah. Yeah, that was Pee Wee Herman in that movie. Ah, damn. (laughs) All right. Score zero to zero. Peter, up in smoke. Up in smoke. Yes. Yo, Peter? Yeah. Pee Wee Herman wasn't in that movie. He wasn't in that movie? (laughs) He was not in that movie. Um, I'm going to stop doing that. What? Uh, No. Paul Rubens also not in Up in Smoke. I would have said yes, too. Yeah. It sounded right, didn't it? It did. It zero really to did. zero, Beth. The Blues Brothers. Pee-wee. Yep, Pee-wee was in that movie. I'm high-fiving what? myself right now. You can't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we felt the vibrations. It was powerful. You were proud of yourself. It's a good Thank thing. You. Um, Thank you. Peter. Meatballs Part 2. Uh, yes. Yeah. Pee-wee Herman was in that movie. I will collect my point now. Uh, it's in the mail. Amazon, way later. It's a different <laughs> service from Amazon now. Way cheaper. But they send it by boat the opposite way across the world. Uh, Beth, baby's day out. I'm going to guess that that was, in fact, Pee Wee Herman. As the baby who takes a day out. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, no, Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> not in Baby's Day Out. Peter, Cheech and Chong's next movie. Uh, no. Nope, Pee Wee Herman in that movie. It is, but it's one to one. Beth, Moonstruck. Not Pee Wee. Pee Wee wasn't in Moonstruck. <laughs> Does that mean I get a second point? <laughs> it's, two to, it's two to one. Peter, the page master. Uh, yes. Nope. Uh, I mean, if, if he feels like he should have been in it, but he was not. That would have been a rebound movie because that was 94 and his uh, his issues came in 91. Yeah, exactly. That would have been, so, uh, maybe he like voices a book. There's a lot of books in that movie. A lot, ton of books. I left, I'll say this, I left out all the voice roles, but there's a lot of voice roles, mostly in TV. And he starred in every sitcom of the 80s at one point. Paul Rubens, like, a couple episodes of Murphy Brown, why not? He's in there. But I left off TV shows as well. Uh, Beth, it is two to one. Four questions left. Matilda. Ooh. 
I'm going to have to take a stab at this and say Pee-wee Herman is, in fact, in Matilda. He is in Matilda. It's three to one. He's one of the uh, he's one of the uh, the cops. He's one of the investigators that comes to the house to investigate Danny DeVito. So still anyone's game, but you know the walls are closing in on Peter. Uh, Peter, short circuit two. Yes. No. So I think that means you lost. But we got two more. We'll just do it for funsies. Beth. Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach. I don't remember Police Academy 5, and I think I'm supposed to say yes, and I don't think he was in that one. That's correct. He was not in Police Academy 5. My brother and I watched every Police Academy movie, and I feel like he was in one of them, but I can't remember if he even was. But I feel No, like- he, he was in zero. Oh, amazingly, somehow, he was in 0% of all Police Academy movies. Huh. Were you and your brother in a weird Bobcat Goldthwait-themed cult, maybe? Why Why oh, did I you love- have to watch all the Police Academy movies? No, that's actually not that far from the truth. We were not... <laughs> <laughs> we ate Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> I mean, we ate over at his house. We like to say, "Did you really?" I'm, is he fine? Why well, don't I don't know about that? He was fine in 2006 when he was in that Party Down episode. Yeah, he hasn't been devoured by two big fans of the Police Academy movies. I'm pretty sure, though. <laughs> be on the news. It seems like it would be big news. Yeah, big news. Gutenberg was eaten. Do you think he's next up weather? Gluten-free? He's oh. definitely not oh. gluten-free. He's not gluten-free. He's not gluten-free. <laughs> Name this man Steve Glutenberg. Steve Glutenberg. <laughs> the thing is, he got really cut, and the joke was always, uh, if he got really fat, I would call him Steve Glutenberg. But also, I don't like to shame people for their bodies, so I probably wouldn't use that joke. I, I mean, if other he- than a hypothetical. <laughs> If he was in a position to host Saturday Night Live in mid two thousands, I think they're they're making character uh, they're making a new character, Steve Glutenberg. I think that's. <laughs> I'm so glad that I could have uh, I could have maybe written jokes for a nadir of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that that imaginary two thousand five season was not good. Uh, Peter, <laughs> last one. Save a little face. How many points is this worth? One. Uh, How about two? We'll, we sure. could go triple or nothing. I'll tell you what, we can, you know what? You can risk it all on the tiebreaker. But for now, what Peter, Dr. Doolittle. He's in it. He's in Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. That was worth uh, 2.95 points. So, Beth, <laughs> you got four. Peter, so close. 3.95. Oh, just. Thank yeah. You. Oh, so close. So close. Uh, there. So the tiebreaker was, and this is not prices right rules. This is just whoever is closest. Uh, how many episodes of Robot Chicken has Paul Rubens lent his voice to? Can we count to three and say it at the same time? So, I mean, again, it's just, yeah, you can do that. I worked for a clearance company and we actually did clearances for Robot Chicken. For a while. Interesting. Yeah, but I didn't I don't remember any of that. <laughs> you didn't keep track of Paul Rubin's guest <laughs> No. <appearances? laughs> no. All right, we'll do it. Three, two, one. Thirteen. Six. Six. So Peter would have won the tiebreaker because the answer, crazily, 
is two. So it feels like he came in, he swung through, he did some, he did some bits, but like he, 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 he didn't feel like it was home. I mean, Brecken Myers in every fucking episode. Paul Rubens is only in two. So yeah, weird. I feel like the, uh, Macaulay Culkin did his yeah. own thing for a Home Alone parody. Like, Robot Chicken is actually like, they get some good guests. They, got they, get, they get a lot of guests. I stopped watching it a long time ago, but I was always impressed watching the credits when I did used to watch it. Like, oh, yeah, like all of those one word voices or one sentence lines were delivered by the actual actors that did it. So I would have expected Paul Rubens to either be like 50 or zero. So two is, I feel like two is a weird number. So what's the role? What's the post Paul Rubens? Thank you so much, Aaron, for bringing that game. What's the post Paul Rubens oh, role you're that people actually think of? The post Paul Rubens role? Or post uh, Pee Wee <laughs> role that people think of Paul Rubens. I always think of him in Blow. I think of Buffy. I go Batman uh, Returns. Batman Returns, but he's in it for like, he's literally like two lines for Penguin's parents. I read Disney Adventures magazine. Buffy's the correct answer, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so I, re- I, but I read Disney Adventures uh, magazine and they would have like this like preview section that I was like obsessed with because it was pre-internet, like, you know, again, early 90s. And they like hyped up to shit the fact that Pee Wee Herman was going to be in Batman Returns. Even though I don't think I saw that movie till till video, I was like so on the lookout of I can't believe Pee Wee Herman because again I was still kind of thought that Pee Wee Herman was just that was who he was, and so it was bizarre to me that he would be in another movie, let alone like a Batman sequel. So uh, for one, congratulations, Beth. Thank you. So Thank much you. Thank uh, you. I'm just gonna be like uh, you know more courteous as a loser than Aaron is as a host. It's fine. Um, what do you mean courteous? But, uh, you so, got very close, Peter. Three point nine five to four. <laughs> I feel like it's not fair because I guessed on two of us. <laughs> uh, guessing is as good as being right. Rather, be- I thought he was in Police Academy three, so you can dock points for that. I should have just done it where I just listed Police Academies one after the other, and then he's just not. It's, he's not in any of them, so it's just kind of a bad segment, really. <laughs> do, do I need to like uh, uh, fluff your vanity for this, this segment? It was a good quiz, Aaron. Thank you for bringing it. Yeah, I'm not asking for thanks, Peter. You're the one that keeps weirdly thanking me for it. But but like, uh, that I guess it's not passive aggressive at all. We're doing I guess fine. We're doing fine. I mean, I I guess if like. You are going to thank me. I just w- would like one to be sincere. Yeah. <laughs> You've sarcastically yeah. thanked me like five times. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for thanking me. I feel like uh, Paul Rubens is like the sort of name that, which is, I think this is a sad thing. Don't get me wrong. I think it's the sort of name that like, if you throw that out, people are like, it's fucking Pee Wee Herman. Paul Rubens. Like, do you know the guy? It's Pee Wee Herman. Like, I feel like people are like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to know his his real name, which is sad because he's like he's actually been in, he's given him he's given a lot of great performances outside of Pee Wee. It is it is still kind of though bizarre even to this day, even knowing that Paul Rubens played a character named Pee Wee Herman. It is still weird seeing him in movies and not going. It, it, well, that's Pee Wee Herman though. <laughs> like it is, he is so connected to that character rightfully it's an iconic character that it is even my adult brain sees him and is like that's Wee herman i feel like the equivalent would be if like you were watching like a star trek movie and 
Uh, and like Big Bird is playing just one of the ensigns in the back. And you're like, well, it's, it's Big Bird, though. <laughs> like, I get that Big Bird is playing a different character in this movie. It's still very jarring to see. Pee Wee, uh, excuse me. Paul Rubens, um, being a voice actor in this movie, uh, is amazing because I didn't know that he was Paul Mall. Because oh I yeah, I didn't know. It was a complete surprise to me. This movie wasn't pitched to me as basically half a Pee Wee movie, which it kind of is. Yeah, um, it's super fucking goofy. For it was a while just a Disney there. movie, and I was like, oh. Uh, the voice actor for the robot is just going to be the sort of like drab, dry voice. Um, and then <laughs> uh, suddenly he starts making like peewee like ah! and noises. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, there's no one else it could have been. I was wondering how, how long were you, was there even a moment where you're like, is this guy ripping off fucking... <laughs> for some reason like i knew i like all the pieces came together i was like even though i like i didn't i was just reading the opening credits i didn't see you know paul rubens or anything but all the pieces came together i was like oh shit that's why aaron loves this movie is because there's fucking peewee herman voices a robot in it that's that's an amazing thing to just discover halfway through the movie as opposed to it being pitched as a peewee movie so i'm i'm excited to get into that so let's because I was not a huge fan of Pee Wee Herman when I was in elementary school. I watched it, but uh, I think I told you this not on the podcast, but I really fell in love with Pee Wee Herman as a college student. So uh, let's let's talk about why I loved, why Beth loved this movie and get Peter's thoughts on it in general. Do you guys want to start talking about Flight of the Navigator. I have a little bit of Pee Wee uh, trivia for you, though. Actually, oh, let's, let's do yeah, let's do it. I'll cut off. The it, it's it's, we'll it's it not set. legit trivia. It's just like weird Pee Wee connections that I thought were really interesting. That I actually I was, had. The story is going to be Beth was is going to be like <laughs> I was working in a theater in Florida in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you do it in the Monster Mash voice? I was working in the <laughs> To my surprise, I called the cops. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. Do you want me to take a time out? All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up right down the hill from CalArts. CalArts was founded by Walt Disney. Everybody thinks Walt Disney's head is frozen in the basement. I've been in the basement. Pee Wee went to CalArts, and we always used to see him at the Halloween parties over there, because when I was a little purple-haired, mohawked teenager, we would walk up to the CalArts parties, because there was no security, we would drink their free art school beer, and <laughs> we would we would just pretend like we went there, and we some the alumni would come to the parties a lot, so I grew up down the hill from where Pee Wee went to art school with it all and tim burton and david hasselhoff even went there it's such a crazy place so should we be doing this podcast about stories uh the, of beth meeting famous people maybe we should peter how do you feel about changing directions suddenly? no no i want to hear some of these now i've more alive well, i've more substantial stories about other people. Those were just people I was trying to pretend I was much older in front of so I could drink their beer. Their free <laughs> art school beer. 
But um, yo, Pee Wee, <laughs> give me a Michelob. <laughs> no, was, I mean, it, you. He was like virtually unrecognizable back then because this was in the early nineties, and so he did not look like Pee Wee Herman. He looked like some <laughs> art school dude, and not with this little red bow tie. But yeah, oh, it'd be great yeah. if he still wore the tie, though. Um, yeah. the, well, did I gotta... he still honk when he laughed? <laughs> I don't believe he did. No. I didn't never, I didn't have the guts to talk to him, but yeah, but so he went to CalArts. CalArts was founded by Disney. I grew up down the hill from CalArts and I used to steal Huey's art school beer. <laughs> That's awesome. That I is that. amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, let's, let's get into even more Pee Wee Herman talking, maybe a tiny bit of Joey Kramer talk, maybe a tiny bit. If we have time uh, to talk about Flight of the Navigator. You guys ready? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do it. Welcome back. <laughs> hey, guys. What a, what a, what a natural transition. Um, I feel like approaching 100 episodes, we have this down pretty well. We definitely uh, are showing any sign that we are better than from the <laughs> first episode, right? This uh, is not yeah. an, an embarrassing uh, train wreck every single week that we just insist on powering <laughs> through, right? Yeah, I'm sure when people started listening, they're like, well, they'll get better. <laughs> and... I like to think that we've lulled them into some sort of hypnotic complacency where yeah. they, they're still tuning in. They're just used to it. They're like, guys, go out there every week, stumble over your words, make jokes that only one of you laughs at each time. We're like the little engine that tries. Good stuff. What are you talking about? <laughs> we're like, um, we're like everyone's a drug addict nephew. We're like, they'll grow out of it. They'll, they'll get better. They'll just they'll figure some stuff out. <laughs> I will say, I think my wife probably thought that, but now she accepts. I think, she's, I think she was kind of like, all right, this will last a week. <laughs> Tell her that's called enabling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure your fiance thought the same thing, Peter. Yes. Yeah. She was like, "Eh, they'll do three episodes and then get embarrassed." And I was like, "My shame has no met on the internet." (laughs) Um, So, anyways, uh, so yes. So, Peter, you are alternate taglines. The the kids a computer. What? Um, (laughs) Nope. How about uh, you're confusing uh, this with the computer wore tennis shoes? Uh, how about 2018 shaming 1984 shaming 1978? <laughs> Wait, you know they're doing a reboot of this film, right? The the person who created everyone's favorite show, Lucifer, is the one who's writing the script. Um, and it was purchased by the Jim Henson Company, which is fine. Uh, what I thought was funny uh, was when they tried to reboot it before – in 2012, uh, and Disney hired a hot director. Does anyone know what director that was? To in 2012, 2012, hot director uh, and his writing partner to rewrite the script. Uh, Colin Trevorrow. Correct. Wow. <laughs> and then he got to do Book of Henry and make Hollywood proud. Yeah, he didn't direct because he went to go do Jurassic World. He's like, fuck you, Flight of the Navigator. I'm on a rocket ship that's never going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> uh. 
All right, so I, I have one alternate tagline. Okay. We move on. Uh, it's uh, watch a boy navigate his dumb ass off a cliff. What about that kid? He's got stat charts in his head. That's pretty good. That's, That's good. good. Hey, what about that kid? He's got probation. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, he tried to rob a bank. Poor Joey Kramer. I was convinced when I saw this movie that that was uh, whoever played Peter Brady on the Brady Bunch from the 70s. Because I don't know how time works, I guess. But um, it does. It he looks does. so much like him. I had he no looks idea. so much like him. Some guy that, uh, that was just in this. So, yeah. So, quick recap of this movie. So, uh, let me actually. I, I can't believe I don't remember his name. The actor? Uh, no, his character. This is a very common thing on the show, Pep, where we can't remember <laughs> the characters' names, and so sometimes we just keep saying the actor. Sometimes, especially a name I'm going to be saying a lot, we look up. Um, Flight of the Man. Let me go back again. Uh, oh, what is his name? David. Yeah. Would have guessed that in a million years. Um, I've seen this movie a hundred times. That's so, not his uh, name. Yeah. So. Because uh, they just call him the Navigator for like half the movie, so it's tough. Uh, so, anyways, so David, he's a he's a he's a boy, age of twelve ish. He's having a nice summer with his family in this fucking awesome house um, that I really wanted to move to when I was a kid. Uh, and he's, he's got a, living a rad life. My he, he, oh, in nineteen seventy eight, not rad because I don't think they use that word that often, but probably a groovy one. <laughs> Yeah, he's a a groovetacular life. Yeah. Um, But didn't he not use Rad until after he was staying under lockdown at NASA and then Sarah Jessica Parker comes in and shows him MTV? And then he learned all that lingo because he spent one day watching MTV. (laughs) Yeah, all the time at NASA. He downloads it. Half of his time at NASA was getting hooked up to machines to extract star charts and the other half learning the slang man like <laughs> how are you gonna what? make it 1986 you're not saying cowbunga and tubular um he's like i'll never he's like i'll never be a cool teen and he puts cheeks up on his palms <laughs> and then it goes to we'll be right back after these messages um, so uh so yeah he's he has a brother him and his brother don't get along very well. His little brother's kind of a dick. Um, yeah, he's a he's a dongus. Mm-hmm. His brother's out late, and his parents are like, "David, go find your brother." He goes and finds his brother. His brother scares the shit out of him. Runs back to the house. David runs back to the house, gets to his house, and oh, where are my parents? They rearranged my house. Everything's different. There's old people. Very scary for children. Yeah, um, Dr. Frankenstein from Day of the Dead says hello. Yeah, he definitely, he walks out and is like, can I help you, son? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's, it's like very, ter- they did not approach the situation very well. Um, so he's like, what are you talking about? This is my house. They call the police. Um, the police find a missing person thing and says, hey, look at this. He's wearing the same clothes. And then they're like, did you check the date? It's 1978. And one cop, unconcerned with that. Typos happen all the time. Um, so they do the worst uh, letting your letting parents know that they found a missing son in the history of the world, especially one who has not aged in eight years, which is just do kind of like a, a pop in with the kid in the car. Like, <laughs> hey, uh, you, uh, you lose a kid or some shit. Hey, see that kid in the car? That one yours? Uh, 
You can have them. We don't know what to do with them. You can oh, have them. Oh, oh, we didn't even, we didn't even lock the back seat of the cop car. He just ran out. <laughs> Whoopsie daisies. Oh, and uh, yeah, it's really like they could have called. I feel like they could have maybe given them a heads up like, hey, so we think we found your kid. P.S. Has an age today. P.S. Uh, literally, logically, none of this lines up. Yeah, just let I don't know I don't know what kind of time warp situation. Uh, Star Trek Next Generation won't premiere for another year, so we're not as in tune to what's going on yet. Who knows? So, anyways, so the the kids like, what's going on? And they're like, we don't know. But then NASA finds a spaceship, and that spaceship, when they run the CAT scan on the kid, it's the same same picture as the spaceship. So. They NASA's like we gotta do run some tests, and as they are hooking up to machines, they're realizing that they're communicating to uh, the entity in the spaceship through David. And meanwhile, he is also displaying all these star charts and maps and all this crazy information no one knows. So uh, he is kind of locked in NASA. Uh, they don't tell his parents, and he kind of makes friends with Sarah Jessica Parker who is this uh, big Twisted Sister fan who works with a robot. That's a very weird part of this movie. <laughs> it's just a robot. Um, like, 1986 wasn't the future for this movie. So I don't know why they're like, maybe there's a robot. Uh, but anyway, uh, they Sarah Jessica Parker gets her to the space, get, gets him to the spaceship where he feels like he's being called. He uh, then is the, the, the there's an entity in the spaceship that's just kind of a robot arm with a big light on it who's like, you're the navigator, P.S. Uh, I was fucking with you during my experiments and I messed up a little um, and all my star charts went into you and then I hit a power line, lost all of them. So um, I, I need your head and P.S. the reason that you're eight years later is because uh, we travel speed of light, which causes us to move forward in time, but I can't take you back in time. Because humans are fragile and you'll die. So he eventually gets the star charts back to Max. What's the name of the alien? He finds out um, everyone chases him. They're calling his parents. Everyone's worried. Uh, Max, uh, as he downloads the information, turns into Pee Wee Herman. Uh, more more human, more personal. Uh, personable. More human than human. Yeah, more human than, than human. The great Twisted Sister song. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <laughs> And yeah, so eventually he's faced with a choice. He's, uh, Max says, look, I can leave you here or you can come back in time with me. Know that you could die. And and uh, and David says, I don't this is not my place anymore. It's too weird. I want to go back and give it a try. He goes back, ends up on the night going back to his family. And then he has taken a little alien from the, the spaceship, shows it to his brother. Everything's good. So, and I feel like that was really long, but that is because this movie is is very uh, strangely structured in a positive way, where the first half of this movie is really this uh, mystery around time travel, about secret conspiracies, and kind of almost like, to me as a kid, this almost horror movie. Like, what if you just, everyone has aged and you haven't, and scientists want to do experiments? It's very... Um, somber and I think freaky and kind of creepy and then once he gets into the spaceship which is the last 45 minutes of the movie it becomes more of an adventure film with like this kid getting empowered um, through through making a you know robot alien buddy and then eventually going back everything going back to normal so uh, I discovered this movie 
as a kid in like the early '90s. So it was it was it felt like a true discovery to me because it was I, it was late enough in its release that none of my friends had really seen it, and then I just rent it all the time because I love science fiction. I love time travel. Um, I really liked how this felt. I wasn't a big horror movie fan at that age because I scared easily, but I, I felt like the first half of this movie um, kind of was able to give me that creepy feeling without keeping me up at night, which I really appreciated, like that Twilight Zone type thing. And then, um, and then of course, you know, the back half, it has, I loved the Beach Boy song in this. I loved the idea of flying around with my spaceship buddy and doing cool things. Um, it just had kind of everything I wanted for a movie for a kid. So, uh, I, I just watched it all the time. It was, uh, just one of those movies that I probably saw a hundred times, even not having seen it in 10, 15 years. Um, I feel like I'd seen it yesterday. Like, I remembered everything. Nothing was a surprise to me. I could have probably said the lines before they came out of people's mouths. Um, and I loved it just as much. This really is a a fun movie. I'm very excited to talk about it. Very excited to hear Peter's thoughts as well. But to add some more suspense to that, Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, history with this movie? So, um, when I was a kid, we got HBO and HBO was new. And they were trying to just give it away, get everybody to watch it. So the first time this aired, I think, on HBO, which was one of the only channels we had, I saw this with my brother. I can't – it was either on HBO or we saw it on VHS at our friend's house, and it wasn't that long after it came out. And I have this really fond memory of these movies, and this is one of those movies from when I was a kid – that I watched with my brother and our best friends, these these kids, Andrew and Jed, who lived on the street over from us, and their little brother, David. We just sat around. I was a tomboy, if you can't tell. We used to just sit around <laughs> and watch these movies because we were basically unattended. So we would either be running around wild outside doing really inappropriate things for people our age or watching movies. So I have a very fond memory of this. And I remember I was watching this the other day and it all kind of came back to me. And my first thought, just to like get back to the, the peewee thing for a second, was who's this guy ripping off peewee? And then I was like, oh, no way. No, that really was peewee. That was before he did all the other stuff. Um, but I I kind of read it when I rewatched it the other day as... I see what you're saying about it being sort of like a horror film. I read it as being this sort of meta anxiety dream where what if you just lost eight years of your life and you, I mean, very similar to what you're saying, but I just remember thinking it's like kind of like you're dreaming your teeth are falling out or you're walking around and you've got no pants on or, you know, you wake up in the woods and eight years have gone by and you're still a child. And you can't, you yeah, can't well, drive or buy cigarettes or drink because you're eight <laughs> or you're 12 well, or whatever. Well, and especially, too, because, like, at that age, like, age was everything. You know, if you were, like, if someone was a year older than you, that was, like, something that kids would hold over your head. So the idea of yeah. all of your friends and everyone you know being eight years older than you and you're just a kid is, like, you're right, anxiety-inducing. Like, how would I ever function? And now I'm just hanging out with these these people that I view as kids. Um, 
It's interesting, though, because he goes from being the older brother and having this dingus, I think you said dingus earlier, this dingus little brother, <laughs> and and he's supposed to be the one that's the mature one, and then he wakes up, and his brother is almost an adult, and he's still a child. There's something yeah, his, really anxiety-inducing about it's that. It's like he got a new brother. It's yeah. like, it's a completely different person. Yeah. Yeah, well, and his brother is like, um, he goes from being a, a, a dingus little brother <laughs> to like, I don't, I don't know. Cool for the eighties. It was, it was so funny rewatching this as an adult because, obviously, when I saw it, Jeff as a sixteen-year-old who now looks like a thirty-five-year-old, uh, he he seemed like, oh, this guy's older now. Like I, I recognized him as an older person than me, and now watching it, it's like this kid's a fucking dork. Like I, he's so like the shirts he wears are insane. I think even for nineteen eighty-six, like. I and he he's so I I don't know it was he doesn't feel even 80s cool but I remember thinking he was 80s cool when I was a kid yeah uh so my yeah. fiance and I decided that uh Jeff is kind of like a fashion icon <laughs> <laughs> everything he, everything he wears is like weirdly uh, super relevant to what people wear now. Uh, his haircut is like that sort of like half cut thing, but like with like flow over. He's got almost like tortoiseshell glasses. The patterns on his shirts are really like modern style. Like everything Jeff is wearing happens to have come back around, which is. The first uh, thing I said was, oh my God, that hair. Yes. Yes, yes. Like it's kind, it's dorky, but it's in a way that, like, if you saw a dude in a restaurant, like a bartender with it, you'd be like, "Yeah, it works." He'd have to be a little hunky of a bartender, but like, you'd be like, "Yeah, yeah." It's a, it's a. I also wouldn't be surprised that his name was Jeff. I'd be like, "You're such a Jeff." Yeah, total Jeff. <laughs> oh, it's it's G E O F F, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> My own uncle's name is Jeff with a G, and uh, I when I was like six or seven, I like was handing out Christmas presents. I was like, "Who's Geoff?" <laughs> so, if a child can make the mistake, I don't know. Uh, Peter, you've never seen this movie before. This, this could totally be a Goonies situation where I missed it as a kid, didn't work for me, especially the back half, which gets super goofy. Peter, what did you think of Flight of the Navigator? I was actually really worried because uh, I'm down to just a few John Carpenter movies left, and I recently watched Starman, and I really, really didn't like it. Um, and I was worried that this was going to be like a... Not Star Kid, but I thought this was gonna be like a kid's version of Starman, where it's just like a little alien kid, like wandering around and just you know, you know they they they'd like take like a major hit and then be like, oh yeah, this, this is a kid's version of that, um, or like of a, a kid's version of Close Encounters. I was like, do I want like a kiddie version of this? It's its own. It's its own. Uh, hold on, hold on. I want to pause you. Why? You were worried it was gonna be a kid version of Starman. The whole plot <laughs> of Starman is that. Kurt Russell falls in love and, and has sex with Karen Allen. What's the yeah, kid thought, version of that? The kid version is like a dead boy gets replaced by an alien version of him. 
And falls in love with Karen Allen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad that it needs to be literally the same plot of Starman. Um, no, I'm saying that there was like Close Encounters or Starman. There, there were these movies of the era, and I was like, do I need to see like a retread of this? I'm glad that it felt like its own thing. Um, yeah, it, it was really more about um, this kid forming a trying to figure out his relationship with his brother for the first half and his family for the first half, and then b him trying to figure out an accord with um the 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 robot ship the the peewee ship uh and i really was charmed by the movie in a way that i did not expect uh it moves like lightning yeah it, it, it's not sloggy in a way a lot of children's movies feel where they're like we got one set piece coming up so this conversation is gonna take a long time um it also it reminded me a lot of this goosebumps episode that scared the shit the first half at least reminded me of this goosebumps episode that scared the shit out of me as a kid and it's uh about these two kids go to the tower of london they're american kids go to the tower of london and they are presumably canadian kids and they, they go to the Tower of London, and at some point in there, they uh, something happens where they their parents don't recognize them when they come out, and nobody recognizes them, and people are actively hostile to them, um, which is, like, the scariest shit. It like, it, like, gave me nightmares for years. Like, I could handle, as a kid, I could handle big monsters and zombies and werewolves and shit, but, like, the idea of, like, no, like... Everybody you know doesn't recognize you. You have no, like, your house isn't your house anymore. Like, you're just this, like, new kid was terrifying to me as a kid. And this reminded me a lot of that. Like, the the first half was really compelling because I was like, oh, this is creepy to me as an adult. And it would have been creepy to me as a kid. So I think as a nostalgia pick, it's great because I can project my childhood onto this movie and be like, I also would have liked this as a kid. That's I'm I'm glad you liked it. I'm I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, this was kind of the movie that I remembered, and I'm like, oh, I would love to talk about in this uh, on the show that kind of led to me kind of pushing for doing this month again, which we had done a previous version of uh, in November of 2016. Uh, so before we get into the movie a little, I do want to talk about kind of the fact that this is a that's 1984. It's a Disney movie. I think the the Disney live action. Uh, movies of the 80s are fascinating <laughs> like where they decided to go as a company because in the 70s and the 60s you had a lot of like you know swiss family robinsons and these kind of like uh epics or mini epic family affairs treasure island stuff like that in the 70s you had a lot of those kurt russell family comedies and stuff like that and then in the 90s they really didn't know what the fuck to do and then in the 2000s and obviously now it's they just bought every everything and now every movie's a disney movie um and then but in the 80s between there we talked about this a little on our black cauldron episode uh the the animation studio was going through a lot of flux they almost shut it down because it was doing so poorly and i want to i want to go through some disney 80s live action movies quickly and it it's so perfect how this fits in with some of these so you have stuff like um dragon slayer uh condor man which is a superhero movie um, I've never seen it. I've I remember seeing previews for it. it looked crazy. Uh, Return to Oz, something wicked this way comes. Fly the Navigator, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, um, uh, and then like one Benji movie, and one or two like trench coat movies called Tex, 
with Matt Dillon and like trench coat. And that's it. They did like 12 mo- live action movies throughout all of the 80s. And the vast majority of them were either like these sci-fi movies or fantasy epics or just these like horror movies for kids like Return to Oz. Um, it's such a weird time in their history. Yeah, we, we, we're really doing a, uh, a Disney-themed winter because we did Black Cauldron, which was almost killed uh, Disney and almost killed their animation division specifically. Uh, this is like... the. This is them diversifying. This was back when Disney would actually like do a lot of live action movies that they would put out in theaters and like promote heavily. Um, it's a, it's a, it is a fascinating movie in terms of the history of that company because like, and it also made some money. It, this it did like well. It made hit. double. It made no. It, the budget was eight million. It made double that. It made sixteen million. So it's not massive, but it got good reviews at the time. Like. You know, people know about something wicked this way comes and Return to Oz and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Dragon Slayer. I do think that if you didn't grow up with this movie, you, it, this movie never gets talked about. Like this for, – for the amount of cultural presence it has now, this might have well might as well have been a uh, straight-to-video Disney. I, I can tell you that I have talked about this film – on and off since I was a kid as one of those formative movies. Yeah. Because I have a very distinct memory of it. But again, like you're saying, people don't really remember this film. It was sort of like a blip on the radar to a lot of people or it was just not very memorable to people for some reason. I find that very strange. I do too. And I, you know, it got video releases, it got DVD releases. So it wasn't like a Black Cauldron situation because Disney was yeah. really weird sometimes with like, oh, hey, remember that movie you missed in theaters? Well, now you never get to see it again. <laughs> Fuck you for not buying a ticket. Like, Black Cauldron uh, came out in 1985 and they didn't release it on home video until 1999, <laughs> which. I loved that movie. I didn't. I never understood that. I know this is not the Black Cauldron show, but I <laughs> no. never understood that. <laughs> So, I, I had a book and I always wanted to see it and I never was able to. If I'm not mistaken, when this movie did finally come to TV, they did something that they, they would do sometimes at the time, which is seems now like borderline insane. They would premiere half the movie on like a Saturday night and then they would do the second half of the movie the following Saturday. That's insane. It's a 90-minute movie. Something I heard about this movie is that, like, when it was on, when it premiered on TV, Disney made a big hullabaloo that they were putting a theater release on TV for free for people. Although, even though it's a crazy idea, I can't think of a movie that would have worked better for that because this this movie does have a pretty clear dividing line and, like, tone and and plot. Um, And it occurs almost exactly at the at the halfway point it does the movie takes a long time to get the kid in the fucking ship so that's why i'm glad the first half is actually compelling to me on a dramatic level it's creepy i really like the kids i really like the parents like i it's a it actually like works works as opposed to with most of these movies you're like sitting like when's the dog gonna play basketball you better you better fucking fly that spaceship Shit gets moving pretty quickly. Like it begins with dog frisbee match. Um, the dog immediately becomes irrelevant to the rest of the movie. 
Except the only thing we know about the dog, it lives at least another eight years. Yeah. (laughs) We were doing the math and we were like, we were like, okay, so it can't be like more than a decade, right? Because that dog would be dead, dead. Um, But they do put old man and old woman makeup on the parents and then they back off of that. Like when he first sees his parents mm-hmm. they, for shock value, they put like a lot. Yeah, they really go nuts. They go nuts. And then they back off of it because then the actor has to like actually be an actor um, for the rest of the movie. Uh, and then he just has like kind of great, not great highlights. What would you call that? Great, like ash in his hair, dusting. Frosted. His, his hair is frosted. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, yeah. He's got frosted tips of gray. Yes. It was yeah. the 80s. Yeah. So I think it makes sense for this movie especially because it is kind of divided to kind of talk about it as a as a kind of divided movie. Do you want do you guys want to talk about the first half first? I guess that makes sense. It's exactly that. You feel like you're watching two completely different movies and you think you understand the tone of the movie and you're all creeped out and then it's slapstick. <laughs> and yeah, you're waiting for the slapstick to subside and for it to get like creepy and eerie again and they just ramp it up and ramp it up until the credits roll. I think the only thing that fits is the aliens uh, on the ship. The the eyeball fish that goes, ay, 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 freaked, freaked the shit out of me as a kid. The, uh, nothing about that thing made sense in the fact that it was a fish with just an eyeball and then the noise it made. Uh, I didn't like it. I, like, it wasn't – like, now I really like it because it's a, it's a cool design, but – as a kid, it was like, don't like this part at all. No, thank you. Nothing here is making uh, sense to my nine-year-old brain. Those great 80s sound effects. Like where they, yeah. like with Legend, how they did the like whale sounds for the unicorns. Oh, yeah. And then like with the eyeball, that that's like, that's like a Native American woman doing like a yell. Let's- yeah. Or it's like a Speedy Gonzalez and we should be questioning the, the tone of like, what were they going for? On that. Yeah, but it is all the creature designs. There's just the one that's like a cold made flesh with just that's just like mucus. But oh, like yeah. A person, it's yeah. Like, it's this like gross, like uh, boogery looking thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then when he's like, that's gross. What's going on? He's like, well, he has a cold. It's like, well, he looks like the embodiment of a cold. Yeah. He, he looks like this. <laughs> he looks like the guy from the Mucinex commercials. Yeah. You guys should nuke that planet. That looks like shit. Yeah. You fucking kill everyone on the planet before it gets us. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find the little guy, the little the little uh, squirrel thing that he, he befriends? Did you find it cute? I could have used some punching up on that thing. It was, like, kind of cute. Look, it's not about how cute that animal was. It's about how cute it was compared to all the other options. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I guess I'll take this. It at least has fur and isn't, like, uh, whatever, like, razor sharp teeth or, like, literally made of phlegm. Yeah, or the thing that like is like is gonna bite his head off. Yeah, it's a it's a vicious creature. So, what is the significance of of the lost time in the beginning? You guys were talking about how how creepy is it to you to lose that much time in your life, where you're just like, okay, all of his references are fucked up, which sort of creates to to, to sort of help uh, you know make it a little less creepy. The movie is not afraid to be creepy, but to make it a little no. less creepy, they do make it a little bit of fish out of water comedy where he's like looking at a music video and he's like, what the shit is this? And Sarah Jessica Parker is like really snotty about it. And she's like, you've never seen a music video and it's like <laughs> Blank Mage or some <laughs> 80s band that has not. Well, here's why that's bullshit though because like that music video is a weird music video. I feel like she's taking a big leap to assume. She 
He's like, what the fuck is this? Because their arms are bending off. She's like, you've never seen a music video? I mean, he could have just been like, no, I've never seen this one. This is a weird music video. You're taking a really big leap. I think the reason why the time, the lost time is so successful from a creepy standpoint is there is no indication, like visually, when he falls into that pit and gets out the other side, or like, uh, it's not even a pit, it's like a little crevice or something like that, a little valley, and he goes to the back to that door... It, it feels like one fluid motion. So in most of these movies, you would get some sort of like bright flashing light or maybe he hits his head for a second. He just like walks. And when he walks out, he just goes to his house. So that moment where the house is rearranged and there's different people there really is shocking because the movie has not tipped its hat that something was going to happen at all. Yeah, that was really disorienting. And I think that... I don't know. Knowing what I know, I would extrapolate that that was probably some kind of serendipitous thing to have happen and that they tried a bunch of effects out or they couldn't afford to do what they wanted to do. And then they just thought, screw it. Let's just cut this together and see how it goes. (laughs) Let's take out this Wayne's World fade. Right. Oh my god, that's that's so true. They, there was pro- there was probably at least like concept work done for like a hallucinogenic weird sequence where like right. he sees like space and time and he sees flashes of what's going to happen later in the movie or something like that. Because like there, it, it, I had to like turn to my fiance and be like, "So when was the changeover?" Like, there's, <laughs> there's no like clear point, you know, like in a movie where you're like, "Oh, well, well that weird club scene is probably when it became a dream." Like, yeah. there's no obvious like uh, indicator yeah. that you you've stepped into a different time, a different dream world, a different realm. That to me though, that is the best sequence of the film because that sort of locks in how eerie that first half of the film is and it makes it feel that much more serious because you're not being hit over the head with some corny effect or 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 a wipe or something like that and and you get sucked in because i had to rewind the movie i was like wait no hold on a minute something had to happen was there a flash of light where was the flash of light there was no flash of light he just you know, gets up and then it's eight years later. If they were making this as a like indie horror, indie thriller movie now, what they would do is just open the movie with a kid coming home and not knowing like who the yeah. people are in his house. Because they would like purposefully lean into the disorientation. Yeah. So in this, I agree. I agree. Having it very like uh, raw and very like unremarked upon it makes it so much creepier but I imagine it gave kids uh, horrible nightmares the idea that you could just like you're gonna walk in the woods and then all of a sudden like nah you lost eight years sorry also if you're a kid seeing this movie um, I actually went and found their original trailer it just looks like kid finds a spaceship movie yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. and you know from the cover it looks like kids fi- kid just finds a spaceship and he has a spaceship friend like, they really underplay in all of the marketing at the time, and obviously from the video cassette box, which are the, basically the two forms of, of marketing uh, in, in 1984, that there was even an aspect of he had fallen forward in time and was, um, you know, his family had literally, like, it, it treats the fact that he was missing for eight years seriously, which I appreciate, um, 
as a kid to kind of add to like this is some real shit that everyone went through and you can imagine that as a kid too the idea of like your parents not being able to find you for eight years his brother walks in and is like telling these stories about how his mom never gave up hope and he had to go uh you know put uh signs on light posts for for a year uh just trying desperately to find him like that's a pretty heavy read i mean it's realistic but that's a lot of heavy um stuff to put in a kids movie and on the character that like it's not just he went through a time loop and that's goofy like everyone is like has went through uh pain and has has been through some shit over the fact that their their kid disappeared for 8 years and that is also like mimicked in the idea of like him being a lab rat like every Every scene at the the first doctor's office or in NASA, everything is played with like no one's telling him what's going on and they are experimenting him and his parents who he finally reunited with are nowhere to be seen. They won't let him like the whole thing really is like this kid nightmare of causing your parents pain, being separated from your parents, losing you know your friends and the the girl you had a crush on. It is it is like checking off boxes of everything that could freak the fuck out of you as a twelve year old. Oh yeah, and it, and it um, helps move the plot forward as well because like uh, the only reason the parents uh, agree to the uh, NASA experiment is because basically the doctor says like, don't you want to know where your son was for eight years? And the parents are like. I don't know if we can live without knowing, like, I don't, I, 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 like, right now, we were so used to embracing the mystery, like, I don't know if we can live without knowing it now that we might have a chance at an answer. So, but that's the turning point, though, isn't it? Because even the acting changes right at that point, at that moment, you know, when there's that whole, I dare you to stay, you know, pardon me, but it was a little bit corny the way that that played. And then from that point on, it went from the super serious or the, you know, people attempting to act in a more serious, more straight manner to suddenly it turned into a slapstick movie, like right at that moment. Yeah. Joey Kramer, I think, does a really good job of keeping us grounded and keeping us feeling conflicted and uncomfortable with the situations going forward even past that point but i agree a lot of the the people around him just start treating him like well let's see what happens yeah. which is not as dramatically compelling but i think he he i think he keeps an anchor i think he does too and it and it is that fear as a kid of like if you remember being a kid and like you're in a situation that you know something is fucked up but no adults are really telling you what's going on to protect yeah. your feelings. Like that's a very visceral feeling of knowing something's not right. I can tell from the way my parents are talking or my teachers talking, but no one is telling you to induce panic. And this movie captures that very well when they are like, they've are this. And it's great that we don't see any of that. Like the scientists have already figured out, like that they can communicate with the entity in some way by hooking up to this machines and asking questions. And at no point is that explained really to him. He just is going through this like terrifying process where he doesn't even realize that for a while that the images of like these star maps and spaceships that are projected on screen are from his head and everyone around him is just kind of ignoring him or giving him all the information that he needs so they can continue their kind of experiment. That helps make the movie, I think it helps lend the movie a creepier feel in the first half, just because of 
his performance and also like this does stand weirdly in opposition to the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. At the end of the Close Encounters of the Third Kind, like, you know, one of the most respected science fiction movies of all time, but the greatest criticism of it, almost a damning criticism, is that at the end of the movie, he just leaves his family to go to space. And in this, it's like, hey, you going off on this journey is uh, something that has an effect. People will miss you when you're gone. You can't just run away. You can't just disappear. People will miss you, even if it's not your fault. I mean, I agree. I think if you're a kid, don't disappear for eight years if you can avoid it. It's going to affect some people. Yeah, don't get abducted, kids. Stop being so easy to abduct. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Get ripped or something, you know? Carry tasers. Get yoked. No one will snatch you from your mom and dad, so they will never cry. And then, so, and then you get to come back and like join NASA, which is, and then fly a spaceship. But get that hat. <laughs> you get the hat. <laughs> that hat's a great hat, by the way. Good hat. I love oh, that hat. I was mad when that creature ate his hat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure when he games, comes back, he can like, hey, NASA, another hat, please. <laughs> Did give you the star charts? No, because so. he has no proof. Then when he goes back in time, that he was ever. Oh, NASA's no secret. Back? I think he's got an alien buddy. <laughs> yeah, but people could have thought that was like a fruit bat. <laughs> oh, you either have an alien buddy or you're a sociopath who cut the wings off this fruit bat. <laughs> I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about the NASA scene. So besides the creepiness, I think if this we talked about how this movie doesn't get talked about all that often anymore. I think if it does get talked about, it's in the context of, hey, this is a weird movie that Sarah Jessica Parker was in. Um, <laughs> and that's how I've kind of heard it talk about, especially obviously when uh, Sex and the City was really big and Sarah Jessica Parker was everywhere. It was funny that she had, you know, uh, as you do the where are they now or where did they come from stuff, uh, that she had a, you know, a kind of a 15 minute arc in this movie but i really i really like her in this movie except for the weird thing that happened in a lot of these 80s and 90s kid movies which is like kind of a 25 year old flirting with a 12 year old yes that was that so creepy weird. it also is just like really implausible like i i have no idea why what about him is like enticing to her on any level like he's just like a he is an actual child he is he is a yeah He's, he's a confused, terrified child where you're like, your weird attraction to him actually reflects really poorly on you. Like, I don't really see it as real attraction, but it is real flirting, which is not something that I think happens unless the cops eventually get involved. But it did happen a lot in, in these. I mean, think of like fucking like blank check and some of those other like. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's way more explicit and weird, but there were a ton of 80s and 90s movies where, like, literal children, like, had crushes that were, like, not reciprocated, but, like, I don't know what the right word is, like, kind of humored in a creepy way. The director of this film, who also happens to be from Philadelphia, um, which is where I live now, um, the director of this film also directed Blue Lagoon. Do you guys, oh, yeah, did you guys that. look him up at all? Because at first I was like, oh, yeah, Philly. Oh, no, Blue Lagoon. That's why <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker is making eyes at a child. 
So uh, this is off topic, but my my uh, favorite Blue Lagoons story uh, is I went to visit my wife's grandma uh, when she was still alive a couple years ago, and she had the TV on on HBO, and it was Blue Lagoon. She's like eighty five. And she was like, she didn't change the channel, but like at some point, like a sex scene came on and she goes, I don't know what's going on with this movie. They just keep having sex. (laughs) Like she didn't, she didn't change it at any point, which good for her. Like you find something, you know, but she felt the need to explain like. I, it's like she was doing a little investigation, like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to get to the bottom of this by watching all of Blue Lagoon. For a few dollars, you could have messed with her cable subscriptions, and she would have been like, I just don't know why she's not eating that pizza. <laughs> Should we explain about Blue Lagoon for anybody who wants to yeah, know yeah. what the deal is? Beth, go right ahead. Yeah. So, I just remember... Blue Lagoon, there was some special TV edit, and it was this big TV event, and it was on TV, and I was at my neighbor's house, and her grandma was over there, and she was like, it's porn! (laughs) And I was like, Brooke Shields was in this movie having sex. She was naked the entire time. They would just cover her breasts with her long hair, and what was she? She was like... She's 15. 14 or 15? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's weird that, like, you can buy that movie still. I don't you understand. Know? He was a uh, notorious director of uh, horny teens, uh, or people pretending to be horny teens, because mm-hmm. he also directed Grease. Yes. Which is like a bunch of 40-year-olds being like, yeah, oh! sex with that 35-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and Summer like- Lovers. The movie right after Blue Lagoon. I think what we learned is that most of our relationship to Blue Lagoon goes through grandmas. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that that part's weird. But I, in general, I like I like the fact that her character is she's like, oh yeah, this is crazy. I'm gonna help get him out of there. I like that she follows through and like goes to the house to like to warn the parents what's going on. It is a little mean of the movie to then like take her into cuffs and then we, she's never seen from again. But I guess in the Back to the Future two way timeline's gonna get reset and she's gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna have a robot buddy. The robot is watching it now. That feels like a very weird choice because it's not that we're supposed to be in the future. It's that the first part of the movie is in the past. So, and everything is like realistic for the time. Um, and then it has the alien element that's added to it. So the idea that they're also like, and also a robot buddy. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a strange choice i think and the alien is already kind of a robot yeah he says he's a he's a drone yeah so we don't know what the life on his planet looks like we do know that there are sober people that are very very focused on you know uh, extracting people with the minimal minimum of variables and are not uh, yeah except for the whole like uh abducting a kid kid and being like i don't know if he'll survive going back in time that's just not gonna work (laughs) So I think it's funny that Let's you ruin his life. <laughs> I think it's I think it's funny that you call them like a sober race doing investigation because something that never never stood out to me when I saw this as a kid that I thought was the funniest line as an adult that I was like l- almost doubled over laughing was when he's outside taking a whiz and he's he's kind of explaining 
how this happened to him, how why he has all these star charts in their head. And the explanation is the best, funniest part of this movie where he says, well, we found out that humans only use 10% uh, of their brains. So we just wanted to see what happened if we stuffed it full of star charts. So, so I, I don't know how sober of scientists they are when they're like, let's see what the fuck happens when we do this to this kid. Uh, and that's like, that's pre, that's pre Pee Wee Herman trans. Uh, transformation. He's just like, well, we wanted to see what would happen if we put a bunch of stuff in your brain and it leaked out and that wasn't good. Uh, whoopsies. There is a big question of like how noble this race is. Like he only really becomes friendly with him after he uh, gets downloaded. Uh, he downloads parts of the kid's brain mm-hmm. and then uh, he like becomes part of the kid and then he com- gets completely compromised and then, and then <laughs> he has to make friends with the kid you're like but what was what were his intentions before like just to like collect them for study but also make one like that they don't nece- they weren't necessarily good aliens before they were just no like, i guess they give as much respect to you know not messing with a culture as the crew on star trek does because they break their own rule all the time <laughs> it's like it's like your unreliable friend that wants to borrow something when they're over he's like i'll bring it back you won't even notice it's gone it's like okay because the last thing i lent you i didn't get it back for eight years yeah it's like, it's, <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it just goes it was returned yeah um, I just but, love that he downloads the brain of a 12-year-old boy and then goes full Pee-wee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because Pee-wee is, Pee-wee is a, a, an adult child. Like, that's the fun part of Pee-wee is that he is um, – he's petty. He has, like <laughs> – he has weird fascinations with like getting like vengeance at times. Like he he he, he is he is like a, an adult child. Like he is the original man boy. Peter, uh, you just w- recently saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure for the Please, first time. Please call me Peter Wee. Peter Wee. <laughs> uh, you texted me after and said my favorite of uh, Pee Wee's seven modes is his dictator mode, and I agree because whenever he is trying to organize people. It is it is like a kid who is taking something way too seriously, but expects but doesn't understand why no adults are taking them seriously. And I think that's really exemplified in that um he g- gathers the neighborhood to track down the bike and is what what's the what's that line where he's like Pee Wee when he's in like yeah, when he's in dictator mode is like my favorite yeah. thing in the entire world because he's like pointing at a map and he's like free and he's like at first he seems like he has this plan and then he slowly realizes that his plan is paranoid delusion and he's just like just degrades and degrades and Dottie's like trying to reel him and he's like <laughs> no it's, it's you're all really against great. me that is extended into the character uh that he plays in this where he at, at different times he like loses his sense of responsibility he like almost lets the ship crash at one point yeah he's kind of a dick throughout I think even before the personality change though because I don't buy it for a second that when the kids like go like 20 miles away and he goes straight up He's like, that was 20 miles away. <laughs> I, I definitely buy your theory that, like, th- this alien species is just a bunch of dicks. They're just fucking around with things and, and kind of being passive aggressive and, and sarcastic. And then when he gets the peewee voice, it's like, now it's more, it's not passive aggressive. It's just aggressive now. So, you know, when, when, when uh, like, uh, you're at work and you're like, I'm going to go do something. I'll be back in a minute. 
this would be the race of people who like after like 61 seconds pass they would like go find you and be like you said you would be back in a minute <laughs> like this is just an, an entire planet of transactional like dicks like an entire planet of pedants <laughs> yes i think i think that's a pretty good description it's like uh i saw that thing on twitter where like told someone to have a nice day and they passed out a card that said have a nice day is an imperative statement and it's not appropriate for you to give me a command (laughs) (laughs) that's when you end up screaming at a 65 year old in a parking lot because you're just like you gave me all the ammo i needed frankly that's the entire first half before he changes into peewee the first half of the second half of the movie it's like okay are you fucking with me right now or is this like your real thing that's going on? Like, I can't quite tell because all your actions are clearly fucking with me, but your tone seems to indicate that you're sincere. Joey Kramer is basically like made into this this vessel. Uh, every uh, Both NASA and uh, the, the ship are treating him like this this vessel, just this means to an end. And they're being excessively, like, you know, condescending to him. And they're just like, you just need to give us what we want so that we can, you know, these two species can get what they need out of this transaction. Um, And so him getting to, like, take back power as soon as, you know, uh, he and uh, the the ship sort of reach an accord, um, Max and him reach an accord is so empowering for like a third act move in this movie. So like, yeah, it's, it's, it's natural. We'd want to jump there just because like, it's, that's the fun part of the movie. And, but like the one disappointment I have in this movie is that like, I thought he was going to like go to the stars and like see some strange alien planets and shit. But I guess for the budget, it was just going to be him flying a spaceship around earth. They brought the aliens to him. That was really convenient of them. They were like, can I see some aliens? Yeah, they're over here in this closet. Take a quick look and get out. <laughs> you could say, you could say like, oh, he doesn't want to go far away from Earth because like, you know, time, you know, time dilation. He'll spend even more time away from his family. <laughs> but like, they established pretty quickly that time travel is an option. Like, he's like, oh, we were gonna bring you back, but we thought it might kill you. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, we thought it w- we could bring you back, but we thought it might kill you. And he's like, yeah, let's see. Let's see if I get murdered. Let's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was affecting for a kid when he kind of looks out over his family and realizes he doesn't know these people anymore. And, and he's, he's not. Ship. Yeah. And he's not where he belongs. And he's Ooh. like, you know, uh, this is. Uh, and he gets to make that decision on his own. And it's kind of like empowering for a 12 year old to be like. This is this is important to me to have my life and my family back, and it's worth taking this this kind of leap of faith that I am going to be able to um, uh, that I am going to you know that I'm going to do. Which even though it happens very quickly and like what the risk is isn't laid out, I guess I kind of always assumed as a kid like don't hit those lightning strikes. Beth, were you under the same impression, like, that if you hit the lightning, that's the problem? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's always a good idea to avoid lightning, really. Generally, I think. I wouldn't say all the time. Uh, if you're trying to raise a monster from the dead, it's it's really good. 
if you're trying to go back in time and you need to hit 88 miles per hour and you need to get enough uh, 1.21 gigawatts into the capacitor, I feel like that's also a good time to hit lightning. But yeah, generally, I would say. Just, sorry, not to be a pedant about it, but... Oh, way to actually me with lightning strikes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, also, if you want to be dead by lightning strike, great time to leave that. Look, great way to, yeah. No, what if you just want to make some s'mores? That's true. That's true. So you put some, do you fill your pockets with marshmallows? <laughs> it's true. If you buy all of your s'mores ingredients at Sam's Club, how else are you going to fucking cook them at once? Honestly, like it's either burn down Chicago or get struck it with lightning. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, what, what do you guys, what do you guys think of uh, the fact that it's kind of ba- earthbound? I would have loved a sequel to this movie where like he got to, fly around space and visit weird aliens because they have such like a fun camaraderie by the end of the movie. I'm like, you could probably find a dramatic conceit to expand this. The alternate universe sequel to this movie would be uh, Last Starfighter. That's kind of true. Was Last Starfighter the movie I was thinking of that Seth Rogen wanted to remake? <laughs> well, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> He's no Colin Trevorrow. He's no. Yeah, I. I guess I would have liked to see a sequel where like Max shows back up and goes, "Hey, it's not the same without my navigator. You want to go mess with some fucking alien kids' heads for a little bit?" He's like, sure. <laughs> no, he has to come back because he loses the uh, star charts again. <laughs> he was on his way back and he accidentally deleted him again, so he needs to come back. Oh, another power line accident. Oh, <laughs> I should not drive this. No, he hit the lightning and then he lost all the star <laughs> charts. It would be great if the sequel was just an entire movie of David with his family in 1978. And at the end, there's like a knock at the door and it's a it's the ship. It's like, hey, do you got that alien? Because... I need that. (laughs) Just returns. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We were raising it as our third child. Oh, okay. But I need that. Like, like I need, I have bosses too. (laughs) Or he just comes in. He's like, yeah, um, I have a lot of gambling debts. Uh, Do you want to help me raise uh, $8,000 in the six hours? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Sorry, by $8,000, I meant $18,000 space bucks. Um, So it's the exact (laughs) plot of Rain Man, but Rain Man is played by Max in the spaceship. Yeah, yeah. Travel to Vegas. At all. Yeah, a remake of Rain Man only uh, instead of an autistic person. uh, I I actually think it's way less offensive. Yeah. It's just an alien spaceship. As long as you don't tell anybody that it's a Rain Man remake. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) You can't just make an autistic person an alien. I just said the plot. Okay. Follows the plot. Okay, Aaron. Ugh. Oh, fuck, Peter. You're more, you're more woke than me. <laughs> I was always a big fan in these movies when adult music played, and I thought it was like this movie came out at a time where I was probably still like listening to, or when I saw it, was listening to mostly like whatever was on probably Sesame Street songs and Disney songs. You know, I was like seven, eight. So I hadn't quite made the transition into adult music and when i did i think it was stuff like whatever cassettes my dad had around the house so i remember really liking the song in this movie uh beach boys barbara ann which they kind of danced to but it was also at a time uh where there was like no way for me to get that song so the only way for me to hear a song i liked was to watch it in this movie the 45 second clip because 
I didn't have the means to go buy a cassette, and my dad didn't have it, and no iTunes. So, like, if I wanted to hear Barbara Ann, I had to rent this movie. There's nothing more American than the fucking Beach Boys. There's something. <laughs> there's something about that that's just so American in a good way. It does yeah. also pay into the idea that like the '80s were nostalgic for a fake version of the '50s. Yes, which is kind of what that Beach Boys aesthetic was. Even though it was albums from the '60s, it was like yeah. it was like feeling nostalgic for a period of time with, you know, the American graffiti kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, even though American graffiti is very critical of that time and. and in place more of a grease thing i guess i should say but it, it, it's really awesome when the kid is just like driving the, the fucking you, ship and he's just, just to drive that spaceship yeah it's very relatable because that's probably what i would do also like yeah, even as an adult and be like he's like you want some music i'm like yeah put some beach boys on yeah i always expected to get the joke where they're playing some music and he goes oh no quick turn it off i thought it was some band that people knew that they hated you know as a kid like someday i'm gonna know what that song is i'm gonna get the joke turns out i mean i get he didn't like the music but he reacts very quickly (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's he's like ready to go well i think also he's discomforted for enough of the movie that finally when he like flips over and he's like uh, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna have some fun. And the audience is like, "Yeah, you deserve some fun." Uh, do you think Joey Kramer deserved some fun in his life? It sounds like he had too much fun. He did. <laughs> Didn't he rob a bank? 2009 or something. He started, or maybe it was 2002. Like he didn't act much. He was doing fine. And then there was the drug charges, and then there was all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it it kind of uh, ended with him in 2016, I think. Um getting arrested for robbing a bank um canadian bank so it's canadian money so it's less so. money yeah it's it was it's only a misdemeanor if it's canadian money but <laughs> um the uh but he he did serve i think he only served probation um probably the judge was a big uh flight of the flight of the navigator fan or canada's justice system's way better than ours which is also very possible i'm guessing it might be the latter yeah yeah that's that's (laughs) a a little bit of both um the people that watch play the navigator as a kid are old enough to be judges in canada now (laughs) it's true though (laughs) yeah Uh, it's a terrifying thought that is too bad and then the other i just i think the parents in general they don't have much screen time but they're they're just they're really good they feel warm. I remember feeling that as a kid, too. Like, these are parents that I would feel bad if I disappeared for eight years and ruined their life. Like, they just feel very relatable. They feel like they feel like cool 70s parents. The, the dad is 100% an 80s dad. Oh, big um, time. And they pulled up their house. They're like cool 80s house in South <laughs> Florida, um, which definitely has been ravaged by hurricanes by now. And they like, he like lays out their evening their like nice summer evening where he's like yeah we'll just like get some cheeseburgers and get on the boat you know with the dog and we'll just like hang out and like wasn't it july 4th weren't they celebrating july July 4th 4th? can i come on the boat (laughs) it did and he does that great like uh i'm not gonna give you a hug but i'm gonna give you the pat on the back but then also rub a little bit so it's like not quite just a pat on the back but he's like, let's talk about what's going on in your life. And the Pat <laughs> Robbins like, that's the good dad stuff. <laughs> yes. 
you know, I had very different parents, good parents, but very different parents. And it was like, oh, yeah, these these are good. These are good. Like, it's 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 a family ties, dad. Like, he's going to sit down with Michael J. Fox. <laughs> he's going to tell him why Reagan's bad. And you're going to know that he's respecting the decisions that are going on in his life while still being concerned for his child's future. Not my parents at all. No, mine, mine <laughs> either. Which is... Which is which is why uh, which is why in these movies it was like oh yeah that's the good stuff yeah uh, but uh, <laughs> I also I even watching it now that feeling of like a hot muggy summer night really comes through in those early scenes like I could almost like that kind of like outdoor smells and that feeling of like it's eighty but it's kind of cool because the sun's gone away and you're out in like the woods or a lake area like it it really is visceral. <laughs> I want to know which part of that film was shot in Norway because they had a what they had a U.S. unit and a Norway unit, and almost the entire crew had Norwegian and Scandinavian names. So they apparently they shot a lot of that film over in Norway somewhere. Huh? It couldn't have been the. I mean, I guess I've never been to Norway, so I don't want to be. <laughs> A Norwegianist and assume that they don't have Florida like I mean they've got fjords. Yeah. I don't know what their summer activities are like. I heard it was um, a shithole over there. <laughs> my, uh, my brother's been there. I should ask him, like, hey, remember Fly the Navigator? By the way, my brother, Luke, if you're listening, uh, I'm gonna say it right now, you reminded me of that little shit brother. <laughs> Uh, just always, always kind of being an asshole to your older brother, and like we got along sometimes. But I remember feeling a lot of like, "Yep," and he and he tells mom and gets me in trouble. So Luke, fuck you. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I don't. I, I have no opinion on your brother. But the little kid in this, if you put like some leather and some bones on him, he easily could have been in a post-apocalyptic movie because he's just like snarling and swearing at oh. his brother. And he's just like, and he hops out of the car, like ready to go. And he's like a fucking gremlin. He's just like, and then he like sticks out his, th- his, th- his uh, tongue in his brother. It's like. He could have been a member of the fucking War Boys in Mad Max. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's why the dad even is just like, well, you know, your brother, he's just shitty right now. <laughs> it's like, so funny you guys noticed that because I was totally hung up on how he looked like a mini Bob Balaban. And it's like oh, the God. perfect era for Balaban Jr. Which yeah. is like never a compliment at any age of Bob Balaban. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bob Balaban. Don't get me wrong. Bob Balaban did well. miss a second career calling as a evil man in post-apocalyptic movies. Oh because yeah, he definitely he can play some army evil, but I could he could go like full Bond villain. I think I'm going to have to take everything you own. <laughs> yeah, you know what I want to see regarding Bob Balaban. I want somebody to compile a list of films. That had both Bob Balaban and Richard Dreyfus in them at the same time, and I want to watch them all back to back. They should have made a twins remake with those two, except the hook isn't that they're different; it's that they're essentially the same. <laughs> yeah, it's actually like a very sober, like two and a half hour seventies drama. <laughs> yeah, both of them marry the same person, get divorced from the same person, and then they live in a little studio up in Manhattan. You need to get Fassbender to come back from the grave to direct that. 
<laughs> I mean, we could try. Yeah. Uh, here's what Listen, we're gonna do. We got some. Light. We're gonna we're gonna get one of these. Yeah. We're gonna, well, <laughs> Peter, it's like you weren't even paying attention. You don't want the lightning. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the one thing that'll stop this trip back in time. <laughs> It's so much fun to watch. I think we should kind of move into some final thoughts, though, because it is just this wonderful, fast-paced series of moments uh, that are pretty clearly divided into halves. But I, I, I just love this movie so much. I was um, amazed how well it held up for me. And if anything, I feel like I didn't appreciate enough as a kid, just because I think I kind of expected that there were more movies out there like this. It was just the library two blocks from my house, which had like 50 movies I may have been interested in, didn't have more of those. But you just have this impression of like, I'm seeing an example of a common type of movie that I will see a ton of as a kid or later on in life. And this is the example I have seen now. And I don't know. There's just outside of like a, a good Twilight Zone episode, this really feels like something that wasn't really copying anything uh, and wasn't really working off an existing template. And then literally zero movies copied from this movie, which is especially rare in this day and age. It, It really feels like this unique movie that it's kind of a shame that it's been not really lost to time, but kind of forgotten by modern audiences. And why I think, you know, doing a remake or a reboot of this could could be a lot of fun if done uh, well, if they kind of pick out the parts in here that really work. Uh, because this is just, I don't know, it's, it's really, it's really holds up well for such a clearly targeted to kids movie yeah and it, it works amazingly well as a as a kids movie but it um it also is dramatically compelling in a way that feels like it was made by a director whose interests were more for adult movies this was before we talked about this for other movies before <laughs> but like sometimes now when they're making live action movies for kids it's like mind melting how boring they are because they're just like clearly not like uh the 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 airbud movies the buddies movies now they're like exclusively and i'm not saying airbud was like a triumph of film it is a triumph of film but uh i'm saying like at least airbud resembled a movie if you try and watch one of these buddies movies it's a perfect example of how like a lot of kids movies now are exclusively for children and they're like kind of something you put on the kid's ipad while they hang out as opposed to something you watch with your kid um and i kind of like this era these these 80s movies era this is a perfect example of et and and other movies from this era where kids can fall in love with it but also it's kind of like designed for a whole family to watch as opposed to exclusively small children so i found a lot to love about it i would say if you've seen the buddy's movie called in search of santa paws you would know, Peter, that that movie is only for people who have recently gone through a nervous breakdown. Because <laughs> that movie is one of the – it's like the fucking craziest movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, at one point, Santa gets hit by a, a cab that runs away and then has amnesia for the rest of the movie. And then someone picks his pocket while he's laying on, on the ground after a pretty brutal car accident. Uh, it's on Netflix – Highly recommend. I would love to have a panic attack at some point today, so I, I, I'll definitely get around to it. 
Thank you. I enjoyed it as a time capsule. I just have these really fond memories of that period of time in my life because my friends and I used to run amok and watch a lot of movies. And so it just ticked all of those boxes for me. The big hair, the music videos, <laughs> NASA. You don't, we don't have space in our, you know, in our modern film yeah. catalog, do we? We don't have a lot of movies about NASA and people getting in spaceships unless it's something like Mars. It's not very much connected to the Earth and our exploration of space. I don't know. I just really enjoyed that part. I liked the creatures and Pee Wee Herman. For me, it was more of a nostalgic trip to go back and to watch this. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was. It's it's why I'm so happy that Peter ended up liking it, because this is definitely a movie, and Beth sounds like it's the same for you, where I just watched it so much that it's definitely, it is impossible for me to separate, like, my feelings of love and warmth as a 9 or 10-year-old that I have for this movie. Yeah. And, you know, 25 years later. Like, as I said, I, I could have told you point by point what happens in this movie and lines and where everything goes, even having not seen it in 15 years, just because it is imprinted in my memory on a way that I'm never going to be able to, like, ignore and look at it from a critical perspective. So, yeah, it held up for me. I loved watching it. This film fueled so much of the play that I engaged in with my friends as a kid, and it was... Not even just the Pee-wee's Playhouse stuff, but from this film, Pee-wee was such an integral part of my childhood. We would just run around and talk in these funny voices, and all the kids on my street and the street next to us used to just yell stuff at each other that we heard from these movies and and also from (laughs) this movie. Because we would just say really, really stupid things to each other in that Pee-wee voice, and then end it with like... Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Like, See you later, Navigator. <laughs> <laughs> Just... I will say it still works. My my three year old daughter <laughs> fucking loves Pee Wee. Like she loves it. She requests it. We watch it over and over again. And anytime he does the, ha-ha, she like starts <laughs> laughing. So. Whatever he tapped into in just like a short halted laugh is timeless. Yeah, so this was this was a blast. Um, this is a perfect movie to kick off this month. Uh, Beth, I'm so glad that you were um, finally able to join us and not just talk about any movie, but a movie that you um, you that meant so much to you as a child. I know we were uh, really excited to talk about Legend um, with you. Yeah, me too. Um, and. Uh, and so I'm glad we found something that that still meant uh, a lot to you personally. And this was so much fun. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely, definitely plan to have you uh, back on in the future if you will, if you will have us. I would absolutely love it. I would love it. This has been a lot of fun for me. <laughs> Perfect. And I finally uh, figured out how to get my microphone working. So yes. <laughs> it took me we- a month and a half. But no, this was this was this was great. It was absolutely worth uh, dealing with some technical issues. And trust me, as someone whose Skype is possessed by the devil right now, <laughs> I get it. Uh, Beth, do you have anything to uh, to promote before we talk about what else we're doing this month? I've got nothing to promote right now. Can I promote something for you? 
Sure. Uh, if you uh, if you are someone who knows Beth and is listening to this and uh, has not followed her on Spotify, I would recommend it because she makes some awesome playlists. Oh, that's right. I used yes. to have a radio show called Girl on the Run. I might start up a podcast. And it's it's punk and post punk and noise and occasionally hip hop and other eclectic bits of music. Uh, yes. yeah, I would absolutely listen to that. Uh, and I I knew you I knew you had uh, done some radio stuff, but I guess I didn't really like uh, get a chance to see some of the stuff you programmed until you made that New Year's Eve list, and I saw you posted. I'm like, oh yeah, I could use something new to listen to. Uh, you know, for the couple people coming over New Year's. And every song, I'm like, either I didn't know it, or I was like, this is, who's putting fucking never-ending story theme song, and Whitney Houston, yeah. and print, like, it was it was great. So uh, I, oh, I started following awesome. more stuff. That yeah. was my, like, Italo disco dance your ass off New Year's Eve epically long playlist or something like that. It was like Italo I- disco and acid house <laughs> and, like, De La Soul or the Jungle Brothers or something like that. That took a long yeah. time to make that playlist. It was really good. So Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. So, Thank you for listening so, to my playlist. <laughs> yes. I've been a DJ so, for long enough. It's fun to be able to throw it all into Spotify and anyone in the world can download it. So I don't know if you want us to give out your Spotify stuff, but you can a link. Go for it. Okay, the great there will be a link on this podcast. You can follow Beth on Spotify and subscribe to her awesome uh, playlist. Uh, Peter, uh, we we have a few more episodes. This is the first nostalgia one. We got three more. Uh, next week, we are doing Tremors with the uh, Brothers Koski. Uh, that's, a, that's a Peter pick, although I also love the movie. We've heard some rumblings uh, that they are not huge fans, so good chance they will be uh, disinvited or deleted off the episode, but <laughs> we're, still, we're still pretty excited about it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just going to either have a violent war or we will Stalin them out of the episode. Yeah. One of the hey, why is this episode on Tremors 30 minutes? Uh, it got a little personal. Yeah, things got a little shaken up. <laughs> We cut it down. Uh, <laughs> and then we are doing uh, Maverick. It stars the most uh, unfortunate person in the world, but is a very fun movie and a Richard Donner movie that Peter has not seen and that I saw a bunch as a kid. I think it was like the first. I hated Westerns as a kid, and it was like the first Western that I that I really liked. Um, and then we're wrapping up the movie with Ghostbusters 2. And uh, Peter and I both love that movie still. We loved it as kids. And uh, we're we're ready to talk about it, not from the Ghostbusters 2 sucks perspective, but why it may not reach the heights of the original, but is still a ton of fun with a with a great cast. So uh, I I think this is going to be a really good month, Peter, I guess. Uh, (laughs) What a weird thing. What a weird fucking thing to say. Like, I yeah, I do think I do think we're going to do a great job and people are going to be impressed. With the yeah. words we say about those movies. Uh, make sure you uh, don't sprain anything patting yourself on the back so hard. Oh, I sprained some stuff. Uh, so, with that... I bid you a Jew. I bid you a dude. Good night. Thanks, good night. <laughs>
Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.